Okay, well, good morning. How is everybody? Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, my name is Chris. Uh, last name is Durier. Good luck with that. Uh, I'm here with my family. I'll put up a picture of everybody on there for you. Uh, they're all in the front row here. My wife, Rose, and we have two children. My daughter, Susanna, she is 11, and my son, Austin, and he is 9. And uh, we are very happy to be able to join you here this morning. Uh, we've been serving as missionaries in Spain for the last four years, and uh, we are excited to tell you about what we've been doing over those last four years, and then what our plans are as we move forward into our next term over the next four years and on into the future. So, uh, but before I kind of get in, involved in that, I'll just kind of give a quick background of us. I grew up in uh, the Seattle area in Bellevue, for those of you who are familiar with the area up there. Um, spent my whole life up there. Pastor Brad Colbo was my pastor for a long time, and uh, boy, was he a tremendous blessing in my life. Um, there are so many things that he taught me, and uh, just the way he lived uh, made a tremendous impression on me for my life. Um, there are still things that he would say that I remember to this day. Um, I always remember who the Sadducees were, because he would always tell us that the Sadducees didn't believe in the, resu- uh, in the resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see. And so uh, he gave me that little nugget to help remember things. He was a great man. My wife uh, was born in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, she moved up to the Seattle area when she was, I believe, eight. Yeah, eight years old, and then was up there. She uh, then returned to Eugene to go to the University of Oregon and graduate from there. And so uh, she has family still down in the Eugene area, and so we're uh, in this area fairly often. So we're excited to be here today um, and share with you. So I want to start off today, I like to start off and have things be a little bit interactive so if you're not used to uh, speaking in church, um, this is going to be a bit of an adjustment because you're going to actually uh, shout out some answers that you think you might have to this pop quiz because there's nothing more fun than starting the morning with a pop quiz. <laughs> so uh, we're going to learn about Spain uh, together. So what is the capital of Spain? Does anybody know? Madrid. Okay, we have another smart group here. You're actually competing against the morning group, so we'll see how this works out. Okay, the answer is Madrid. That is the capital of Spain. I have a picture of it up here for you. Um, This is along Gran Via, which is the major thoroughfare that goes through downtown Madrid. The building that you see up front with the black dome is the Metropolis building. This is a very famous image. You see it a lot uh, when we look at uh, Spain. So um, the next question we have, I think that works. There we go. Yeah, okay, so we know that the, United, the national animal for the United States is the eagle. What's Spain's national animal? I hear bull. Do I hear any other answers? No, because that's the right answer. Why would you answer anything else, right? That's the right answer. You guys are doing a really good job here. Of course, it's the bull. El toro, all right? Uh, and of course, we have these big black billboard things. They're all over the country. So when you're driving through Spain, it's kind of fun to look for these uh, things all over the place. Uh, really tall. I think they're probably good, uh, I don't know, 25 feet tall. I mean, they're really huge things. Uh, so that's always fun to look for those as we're driving around and going to new places in Spain uh, together. What is Spain's national dish? Oh, man. 
All right. I'm telling you, this is a smart area. There's a lot of other places I go to, mostly in Washington, where people don't know anything. So, <laughs> so well done, Salem, Oregon. All right, it is paella, and there's a picture of it there for you. Now, paella really is something that's, uh, its specialty is in the south of Spain, uh, but it is famous all over the whole entire country. And it's uh, rice made with saffron, which is, which, which is what gives it that golden color. And it usually has seafood in there, fish and shrimp and clams and mussels. But depending on the region, you can have other things. There can be chicken, pork, uh, rabbit, snails. Uh, there's even a kind called black paella, uh, where the rice is colored black with uh, squid ink. So if you're an adventurous sort, you can try all the various different types if you like. Uh, but it's a really good dish. All right, we're going to get a little bit harder, okay? The national anthem of our United States, the Star Spangled Banner, has 80 words in it. How many words does the Spanish national anthem have in it? I'm not looking for exact numbers, but let's see who can get close. What do you guys think? 200, okay. Any other? We have a zero out there. What else? I heard, I thought I heard. What's that? Did somebody say 201? Oh, 20, Okay. <laughs> Oftentimes when I do this, there's somebody who does like a 200, 201. And I'm like, this is not the price is right. We're not trying. <laughs> okay, the answer is zero. There are no words to the Spanish national anthem. We are one of three countries in the world that have no words to the, Spanish, to the national anthem. So when you're watching the Olympics or the World Cup and you see the Spanish athletes just standing there, there's a reason for that. <laughs> okay, they have nothing to sing. They can't say anything, so... All right. So we're going to get a little bit more serious. This is getting into why we're in Spain in the first place. So how many people live in Spain? And I, again, not an exact number, but what's an estimate? What do we hear? 75 million? Okay. 47 million? 47 million? Okay. It's 47.3 million. I feel like somebody... I feel like somebody saw something somewhere, maybe, or was that an earlier thing? Google. Yeah, yeah, somebody's using Google. That is against the rules. I don't believe anybody in the first hour did that, so... Uh, but anyway, uh, it is 47.3 million. Well done with the Google search. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then, um, how many people in Spain know Jesus as their Savior personally? How many people have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What do you think? 500,000. 500, <laughs> There's a lot of exact numbers that are coming up here. <laughs> it is 500,000. I'm going to say that the afternoon group wins. <laughs> okay. I think uh, I'm going to put in a little uh, asterisk. I think you guys use performance-enhancing drugs on this one. So uh, we're going to give you an asterisk on that. But it is 500,000 people. Uh, which that is, that does make it, it is less than 1% of the population of Spain. And so if I'm in a room with 500 people, that means four of those people are going to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, it is a very unreached location. And that is surprising to a lot of people because we do tend to feel like, well, it's a Catholic country. At least it's a Christianized country. And so, of course, there's a lot of believers there, aren't there? No, it's, there are not. Unfortunately not. There are a lot of people that are trying to make their way through life without Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll give you another statistic here that's not up on the screen, but uh, 
There's a statistic uh, that's been put out, and it is uh, a, t- a city is considered uh, any town that has 5,000 people or more in it. And of all the cities in Spain, 92% of those cities have no evangelical presence in them at all. No church, no believers, no pastors, nothing. That represents somewhere between 10 and 15 million people in the country of Spain that have no access to an evangelical church, that have no access to a pastor, that have no access to anything like that. That's roughly a quarter of the population. So there are a lot of unreached people that we see in Spain. This is a map of Spain. I'm going to show you where we've been serving for the last four years. You can see the little uh, uh, dot that shows Madrid, which, as we learned, is the capital. I don't think we learned. You guys knew (laughs) that is the capital there. If I hit that again, you'll see where we've been serving. It's been in the city of Alcalá de Henares, and that's where we've been serving for the last four years um, in a church plant there. Alcalá is a town of uh, 250,000 people, roughly, so it's a good-sized town. And we have a church plant that you can see right there uh, that was actually started by Rich and Cindy Brown. Some of you probably know them. And so we came to serve alongside them um, in that church plant. Um, Excuse me. That church plant has been about 20 years plus, somewhere around there that they've had that church plant there. Um, It's a little storefront building that we have. Um, It seats roughly 75 people, approximately. But uh, good news, uh, the church has grown. We are no, they are looking for a new building now because we have outgrown the small storefront building that we have in that picture. And so, praise God, we are seeing that church grow, and it's an exciting thing. So we're looking for a larger building for uh, that location. Uh, what you can't see in that picture is that we're between two pizza places. Uh, we have a Papa John's on one side and a Domino's on the other side. Um, which is really convenient when you're speaking to Spaniards because have you ever seen uh, the Centro Evangelico? And oftentimes the answer is no. I'm like, well, do you know where the Papa John's and the Domino's is? Of course I do. Well, okay. You've seen it. (laughs) You just didn't look at it. That's So it's great to easily be able to give directions to that. Um, We do have a national pastor uh, for that church plant now, and we're very excited about that. This is uh, Miguel Angel and his family, uh, his wife Rebecca, and he has uh, his oldest daughter in the middle there is uh, Miriam, and then another daughter, Alicia, and then we have his son, Alvaro. And uh, he has been installed as the pastor at that church. Uh, We are very happy to have the opportunity to serve with him uh, these last four years. He is a dynamic speaker. Uh, He has a love for the Lord and for the people in Alcala, and so we are excited to see um, how he works and how that church grows under his uh, leadership. And it's been a very happy experience to see that. Um, this is the team uh, that we've been serving with. Uh, those of you who know the Browns will recognize them in that picture. Um, but as you can see, for a church plant um, where we're in a building that's roughly 75, it's a fairly large team of missionaries, especially when we have a national pastor that's starting. And that church is getting ready to really kind of operate on its own. And so there's really not a a big need to have so many American missionaries at the church anymore. And this was the question that was kind of came up for us of what do we do um, as we're moving forward? Now, 
The last four years, of course, we were involved in the things that that church did. We were involved in the, the family camps and a lot of the outreach activities, and we taught uh, the young kids in uh, what's called Club de Tesoro, which is Treasure Club. It meets every Friday. We always tell the kids, if there's school, then there's Treasure Club. It makes it easy to remember. If you have school, you have Treasure Club. And so we've done that, um, and we've uh, been involved in those outreaches. Of course, um, I've been taking uh, language classes to improve my Spanish. My wife minored in Spanish while she was at University of Oregon, um, so that was a great benefit to our family. Um, I did not offer those benefits <laughs> when I went into that. I offered detriments. So um, I've been taking uh, language classes, and I'll continue to do so when I get back. Um, but we started as we got close to our term of saying, God, what do you want, where do you want us to be? What do you want us to do as we look forward in serving in Spain? And where uh, are we looking to be? So we had some uh, uh, co-workers, uh, Ken and Carolyn Muckle. You'll see them on a, a video we show a little bit later. Um, and they uh, are re- were going to be retiring at the end of 2022. And they approached us and said, you know, we have a church plant that we've started. Um, and we have a national pastor that we're working alongside, but he's all by himself. And he has no other support. He doesn't have, uh, the church isn't large enough to have you know, deacons and elders and other leadership, so he really needs some help, would you guys consider moving into that role? So we prayed about that and uh, asked God, you know, what, what, what do we think? So we met with them, and we decided that we will be actually changing our field of location just a little ways into a town called Cabanillas del Campo, and you can see it right there. We're actually not that far uh, from Alcala. It's about a 25-minute drive uh, further northeast, so it's not too far away, but the town is quite a bit smaller. So while Alcalá de Henares was a city of about 250,000, Cabanillas is about 10,000, so quite a bit smaller. And it fits right into one of those towns that we spoke about, one of those 95% of towns that had no evangelical presence whatsoever. And so now it does. We have a church plant in there, and what we want to do is see that church plant grow. So we're going to be working alongside with Federico and his wife, Lucia. And those are co-workers now that we're going to be working with. Federico is from the Canary Islands. Uh, grew up there. Um, he has a similar story to me. He was uh, saved when he was young. Uh, when he was a teenager is when he had somebody who really challenged him to make his faith his own. And so he took those steps, and he's been serving the Lord ever since. And now he's the pastor of a church plant his wife, Lucia, uh, was saved a little bit later in life. She's originally from the Czech Republic. And uh, so their family stories are very similar to ours. Uh, Federico is very similar to my background. Uh, Lucia is similar to my wife's. And their ages are the same of our, as ours. They have the same eight-year difference between them. There's a lot of similarities. It's almost like a match made in heaven. So uh, that's who we're going to be working with. And uh, this is the uh, location of our church plant in Cabanillas. As you can see, we don't have any signage that tells you what that building is just yet. Uh, So that'll be one of the things that, as we head back, that we hope to do is get some signage up there so people don't walk by and think that it's a vacant uh, building or anything. Uh, That building, when you go inside, uh, it has enough room for maybe 40 people in there. And right now we average 20 to 25, depending on the Sunday. So it's a very small group that we have. Uh, But we do have some very, very wonderful, dedicated people. 
And we do have some people who are showing up on a regular basis, but they still have not made their decision for Christ. So we are very pleased to have those opportunities, and uh, we hope to uh, continue to, to grow those. Um, one of the things that we want to do in working alongside with Fede and Luthia, and I'll just briefly introduce their, uh, their, their four kids. Um, I always struggle with their four kids' names. I get lost all the time. There's um, uh, Veronica, um, Andrea, Eva, and Simon. I always, <laughs> I always struggle with that. It doesn't flow off my tongue yet. But anyway, uh, so one of the things we want to do, and we've always prayed uh, fervently for this, is we wanted to work alongside with a national kind of from the get-go. And we wanted to do what we kind of termed loosely as leading from behind. We wanted Fede to be the pastor of the church from the get-go. We wanted a national to be there, and then we could sit back in a support role, and we would be there to make sure that we can take part of ministry activities, help plan those out, outreach activities, uh, discipleship programs, all of those things, of course, we are there to help with and to encourage. We're also there to, to make sure he doesn't burn out. Uh, Fede is kind of a jump-in-with-both-feet kind of guy, uh, both he and his wife. Um, oftentimes we'll say, well, what, 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 what does a one-year plan look like for you? And he gives us something, and we're like, that's an excellent 10-year plan that you've given me. Um, that's just kind of how he is. He just, oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. But with that, uh, both he and his wife uh, can burn themselves out pretty quick. So sometimes our biggest job is just reining them back in and saying, hold on, guys, let's, let's take, a, take a breath, and let's have things that are going to last here. Uh, so... We are excited to be able to work with them and grow that church. And the, beauty, the beautiful part about working alongside them is that when that church gets to a point uh, where they have uh, uh, elders and deacons and everything else, is instead of having to uh, kind of turn the leadership over from us to a Spaniard, that leadership's already been under, uh, under uh, Fede, and so it allows us to kind of more easily slide out of the picture and allow this already Spanish church to behave in the way it always has. Um, and our, our, of course, our hope is that we see people as they grow in that church, that we would see some people within it who want to go out and reach the little towns around them and start new church plants around them, and that we can see churches who plant churches who plant more churches and uh, really see uh, tremendous growth in the nation of Spain. So I pray that you would pray with us to that end uh, for Spain. Um, I'm going to have a quick video shown, and then I'll have a couple more things to uh, share, and then uh, we will open God's Word together, uh, which I hope is an encouragement for you. So, yeah, go ahead and play that now. Forty-seven million people live in Spain, but less than one percent know Jesus as their Savior. Europe is now considered an unreached continent, and the church is in decline. Spain, like most of Europe, is almost completely secularized. With the need so great to be a witness, there are endless opportunities to start ministries and countless opportunities to share your faith. ABWE missionaries are planting churches in four cities, training ministry leaders at seminaries, teaching missionary kids, and evangelizing through English instruction, biblical hospitality, sports ministry, and other creative means. There's definitely a place for your unique gifts 
in Spain. Spaniards are easy to get to know and have deep conversations with. They love to discuss meaningful topics, and so it's easy to get them talking about spiritual things. You can build relationships through biblical hospitality, English instruction, and by getting involved in the community. Within these relationships are opportunities to share the gospel with people who would never set foot in a church. Do you have a passion to reach young people? Nearly half of all Spanish teenagers claim to be atheist or agnostic. Our churches need enthusiastic youth workers. One of the most important things we do is disciple and provide theological training for young men going into the ministry. This is done both in formal seminary settings as well as in less formal settings in the church. Our goal is to plant healthy churches with national pastors that reach more people for the gospel. Part of the work here is to meet with individuals, evangelize, and study the Bible. This is so important to encourage them to walk with the Lord and to live in obedience to Him. Planting a church in Spain is very challenging, but blessings come when we see people's lives changed. When they believe in the Lord and they come together to praise God, to learn and to grow, it's worth it all. How do we care for the missionaries in Madrid, especially the youngest of them? The Evangelical Christian Academy was started by ABW missionary Nancy Jones about 50 years ago. It is a missionary staffed and taught academy. If you want to equip and inspire students to impact the world for Christ, then we have just the place for you. Teaching at ECA is a meaningful way to serve the missionaries here in Spain and also the local community. We are always looking for qualified teachers to serve in grades 1 through 12. Are you a school administrator? Of course, a teacher. Are you a handyman? A secretary? Are you an IT expert? We really need you here at ECA. This is a place where I feel God's blessing teaching, but you should come. The MKs and the students from around the globe make this the greatest job. It's so great to see people using their unique gifts and talents for the Lord. And it's encouraging when, because of their own individual interests, they come up with something we've never done before, and that leads to a new ministry. We were looking for a unique way to be more involved in our community. We recently opened up Bria Cafe, where we've had many opportunities to share our lives with the people in our neighborhood. Spain is a beautiful place to live. However, it is a difficult place to do ministry. It takes patience, diligence, kindness, and endurance. Many Spaniards are disillusioned with Christianity, meanwhile desperately searching for truth. Do you sense God's call to serve Him in Spain? Would you be excited at the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus? Well, a uh, couple of quick things uh, before we get into God's Word, just to mention. Uh, so in that video, uh, you saw the school, uh, Evangelical Christian Academy, ECA. So I'm the president of the board for that school. And so I just want to do a quick uh, little bit of uh, due diligence in recruiting. We're always looking for teachers and other staff. All the teachers are missionaries. 
And so uh, we are always seeking people who would be willing to consider serving the Lord in that capacity. So if you are a teacher or if you are school administration um, or anything uh, to that degree of dealing with a school, even if you're an IT guy or something like that, uh, we could use you at, uh, over at ECA. And it is an American school on Spanish soil, so everything is done in English. Um, so I just want to put that out there in case there is somebody who has been praying to the Lord and seeking ways to serve Him, uh, and maybe that prompts you uh, to think, you know, wow, that would be an exciting way to serve the Lord. So um, if that sounds interesting to you, please feel free to uh, uh, get in contact with me, um, ask me questions about it. Um, I'm not the person who does the ultimate hiring for the teachers. That is the school director, but I would get you in contact with the correct people. Um, So it's an exciting way to serve the Lord. Uh, The second thing I want to mention is, so we have been on our furlough uh, for uh, most of our six months. We're actually uh, leaving in two weeks from tomorrow. Um, But we need to have financial clearance before we do that. Uh, We don't have that yet. We're about $800 a month shy before getting our financial clearance. Uh, So we just ask that you would uh, prayerfully consider uh, bringing us on and your support uh, as an individual. Um, That would be a tremendous tremendous blessing for us. Um, We actually uh, need to be back by the 24th so we don't lose our residency status in Spain. Uh, We are in kind of a squishy situation where we're trying to meet the requirements of the U.S. and Spain with our current residency status as it is. We don't yet have permanent residency, but when we renew this coming June, we will. And so that little situation will go away, but as it sits right now, uh, we're kind of at a deadline. So just want to bring that to people so you know where we're at and uh, you know how you might be able to uh, help us moving forward. Uh, So with that, uh, I do want to uh, open God's Word together And uh, I'll begin uh, by praying, and then I hope uh, that um, it's—God brings as much encouragement to you as He has to me through what I have to say from His words today. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this time that You've given us together. We just thank You for this wonderful church. We thank You for the dedication of the people serving here. And uh, Lord, I specifically pray for uh, the people of Spain, my adopted country, uh, the place that I love so much. Um, I pray that you would work in the hearts and minds of the people that I'm going to come into contact with. I pray that you'd be with um, our new pastors over there, that you would encourage them. Um, It can be a really difficult place to serve, and I just pray that you would encourage them day to day uh, so they will continue to fight and serve you faithfully. And I just pray that you'd be with us today as we open your word. pray that first you would just take me out of this, uh, that you would speak through me, that these wouldn't be my thoughts and ideas, but that these would be your words, your encouragement that we hear today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I remember growing up at our church in Bellevue, And, of course, we had a lot of missionaries that we supported, and they would come through and give updates, just like I've done for you today. And remember, so often, many of those guys were very great speakers, um, and they had all of these great stories of how they'd served the Lord and people who were coming to know Christ and everything. And I remember each time thinking to myself, man, these guys really have it put together. Uh, These are really intelligent guys. 
Uh, they're good to their words. They really know how to present uh, God's word to people. Um, no wonder why they're seeing these successes because they just that they're they're good at it, and that's clearly what it is. And then I began to serve as a missionary and realized that no, these guys are average people just like me. There isn't anything particularly different about us. It's just that we happen to live in a different country and that we serve the Lord over there. That's really the only difference. And what that means is that oftentimes we have the same doubts and struggles that you have here in Salem, Oregon, in reaching other people for Christ. We deal with the exact same things. Just because I'm standing in front of you on a stage doesn't mean that I don't struggle or that I don't have doubts in my own abilities. It happens. And I'm sure your pastor would say the same thing for himself as well. It's one of the realities of life. But as I began to uh, look through God's Word, God presented me with some great examples. And I want to share them with you today because these were great encouragements for me that He used to help me just understand that it's not me that He's depending on. It's He just wants to work through me. He wants to work in spite of me oftentimes. So let's open our Bibles together. We're going to go to the book of Acts, and we're going to go into chapter 17. And we're going to start at verse 22. All right. Paul stood in the middle of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they may seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. And let's go ahead and skip forward a little bit and go to verse 32. It says here, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule Him, meaning Paul, that's who they began to ridicule. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed. I'm going to stop there. Okay, I have some questions for you guys that I'm going to answer. And again, please feel free to answer. How many of you feel like Paul is a pretty eloquent speaker? Yeah, it seems like he's a pretty eloquent guy. How many of you feel like he's a pretty intelligent guy? How many of us know what Paul's background is? What was his background? What was he before this period of time? He was a Pharisee. All right. So he's a well-studied guy, right? The Pharisees were very, very well-educated men, and they knew the Scriptures pretty well. So Paul was a Pharisee. He obviously knew what he was talking about. Now, he's an eloquent guy. He's an intelligent guy. How many people 
believed him after he was done with his presentation? What does it say? Some. Does that sound like a large amount? No, it doesn't. What sounded like the bigger amount? What did the larger amount of people do? They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. And some of them just said, you know, that'd be kind of fun to hear about this a little bit more. But some people believed him. Now, I want to give you some contrast a little bit here. So let's flip over. We're going to go to the book of Jonah. So let's flip back to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. And we're going to go to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 4. And it says, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, How many think that Jonah's really, really eloquent here? No? There's a lot missing in here, right? What's missing in his gospel presentation? What's that? Yeah, there's nothing about repenting. He doesn't say anything about that. He says that they're going to be destroyed, but why? Does he say why? No. Who's going to destroy them? Does he say? No, he doesn't say. None of this is said. None of it. This is the worst sermon I've ever seen. It's worse than this. No, I'm kidding. It's the worst sermon I've ever seen. It's, there's no information in there that, that would suggest that the response should be what it is. And man, what a response. So who responds in this sermon? Who responds? Everybody. Everybody from the greatest to the least, from the king on down, including what? The animals. The animals respond. I have never been in a situation where the animals were a part of it. Okay, that's success, my friends. There's something going on there. Now, I want you to look at this contrast, and, and hopefully the, in, the uh, encouragement I see here is the same that you'll identify with as well. I want you to note that for both these people, for Jonah who obviously has not a good sermon. In fact, his attitude is not great, as we know, as we go through that book. Jonah really wants to see these people punished. He's not presenting this in the hope that they will change their ways, right? His attitude is all wrong, but God works through that, and he saves this entire city of Nineveh, even though there is very little information given. And then we see a guy super eloquent, and he knows this stuff, and he's coming from his heart, and he presents to people at the Oropagus, and a few people believe. Now, 
The point of this is not to go out into the public with a cruddy attitude and give very little information. That's not where we're headed. The encouragement is, is that God works through us in all situations, and we don't always know what his plan is. We don't know where he's going with it. And sometimes we're going to feel like, man, boy, did I present that well. Whew. I had all the right words and everything just going, but nobody responded to anything I said. And other times we're going to come away and we're going to say, oh, I felt like such an idiot. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't think of any of the Bible verses that I know. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I just didn't respond well. And all of a sudden, those are the people that respond the most to us. God is not worried about our deficiencies, our weaknesses. Those are not problems for him. He understands that we are all growing in our relationship with him. We all have a lot to learn. We are all building in this relationship. Okay? And sometimes we, sign, we sound silly as we're going through this process. I have a friend of mine when I was in college. Um, he was already married. He was going back to school uh, to, so he could try to get a better job later. And he had a little son. It was around thanks, uh, excuse me, not Thanksgiving. It was around Halloween time. And his little son had come downstairs dressed as a pirate. And his dad says, wow, what a neat costume you have. You're dressed up like a pirate. Yeah. Oh, that's so neat. You got your eye patch? Yeah, I have patch. Great. And your sword? I have sword. Wow, that's so neat. Where are your buccaneers? And his son says, what? And he goes, where are your buccaneers? And his son looks at him with a very confused look on his face. And his little hand reaches up to his ear. And he says, they're on my bucken head. Sometimes we're going to sound silly in our lack of understanding of something. Sometimes we're not going to sound intelligent. Sometimes we're going to be laughed at because we don't understand what's going on. That is okay. God doesn't see that as a detriment. He wants to work with us. He wants us to ask those questions. He wants, he wants us to, to, to get things wrong because those are the learning experiences that he gives us to grow us closer to him. And these are not hindrances to you in sharing your faith with anybody else. The Holy Spirit works in individuals in ways that we're, we may never understand completely. And so the encouragement that I gained from this, and that I hope you gain as well, is that folks, even if you go out and you have all the right words and all the right things to say, and even in the times when you don't, and it's not coming to you. And even in the worst times when you just don't have the right attitude, your attitude is wrong, you can't screw this up. God works through all of those things. You cannot mess this up. If you're going out there and you want to share your faith, God's word with your friends, do so bravely. Do so knowing that God is with you in every step. And he's using every word. He's using every situation to glorify him, to glorify his word. You cannot screw this up. This is an encouragement to me as a, as a missionary as I go out, especially learning a new language. When you're learning a new language, let me tell you, there are plenty of times when I do not have the words. 
I literally do not have the words. They are not in my vocabulary yet. But I have to put faith that Jesus and the Holy Spirit can handle that situation with my lack of ability at this point in time that, they can, that he's going to work through that. And I believe that he absolutely does. I hope that's an encouragement to all of you today. I'll go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us today. Uh, Lord, I just uh, thank you for the work once again that you're doing in Spain. And I just pray that